there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome back to another episode of Net Zero Carbon. This is the show of Freight Waves where we deep dive on decarbonization with the lens of freight, fuels, and energy. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and today I'm joined by Matt Soul, CEO and co-founder of Parallel Systems. Matt, thanks for joining the show. Great to be here, Tyler. I'm really excited to deep dive into this one because um, I'm a big fan of modal shifts. I'm a big fan of decarbonizing surface transportation, and Parallel is coming at that through a, a, a different angle than anything I've ever heard before. So before we jump into what Parallel is and what you're doing, let's get the, the Matt origin story. How did you get into this? Where were you at before? Let me know. Um, I'm an engineer by background and I spent the majority of my career in aerospace. I worked for SpaceX for 13 years before I started to ask myself, am I doing enough to make sure that earth is a place that we can continue to live? Um, Elon Musk is about getting people to Mars as an insurance policy for humanity. And, um, I kind of like it here. And so I wanted to shift my focus to something that was more relevant to where I am right now. Um, and, and kind of by accident stumbled upon what we saw as a, as a really giant opportunity to leverage rail in a new way. That's really insightful and intentional to make that shift. Uh, and I'm sure we're all going to be appreciative of the efforts either way. Um, how did you zero in on rail? Cause it's a big problem, big planet to solve. How do you narrow the field of focus to rail? Yeah, I went through a process that took me through a few different avenues, uh, but mainly around transportation and kind of by accident, uh, because YouTube actually served up a video and said, hey, you'll, you'll like watching this, this giant freight train barreling through the Midwest. Started just really talking about what I'd seen with someone and we realized we, we knew really nothing at all about the industry. And so it was, became kind of a fun project to learn about it. Uh, but through that exploration, realize that, you know, the physics of rail is, is very energy efficient because you have low rolling resistance steel wheels on rail. And because it's a dedicated mode of transportation, you can, you can actually do unique things that reduce your aerodynamic drag. And so when you combine that higher energy efficiency with the realities of, of where does our energy come from when you're charging an electric vehicle from the grid? That actually helps us realize true lower carbon footprint because less energy means less CO2 being generated by the grid. Um, so we, we realized that we still had a lot to learn about the industry and, and the focus became how do we get more things to rail, but we brought in more people from the rail industry uh, that helped us understand it. Um, we brought in a number of, of former executives from class one railroads that, that really helped us understand the industry and how to get started. Very cool. Is, so is this not, it's unfair to say maybe it's a team of like former SpaceX engineers that are trying to learn rail and, and turn it upside down? Or what's the makeup of the group that you brought together? We, we have a lot of people from the tech industry as a whole. Um, we only have one employee right now who actually formerly came from the rail industry. But what I'd say has brought everyone together is this, is this mission and unique opportunity to impact this problem. Um, we have people from... Um, Places like uh, Too Simple, uh, Google. Um, it's really a well-rounded team from different companies in tech. Excellent. 
one of my favorite things about just supply chain tech in general over the last few years has been the attention that it's gotten from outside the traditional like incumbent players in the industry. And it's so invigorating to bring a lot of these ideas that have existed in tech or other uh, you know, niches um, and apply them to problems that we've all seen in the industry for a long time. So I'm excited to see that scale. I'm curious within this specific hardware problem, right? This is not a software problem specifically that we're trying to solve. We're moving stuff from the, the road onto the rail. Even though you've got the team and you you focus on rail as the sector or the mode, where do you go from there? Like, how do you start pulling the threads to find which pieces of the system are inefficient or need improvement? Like, walk me through those first, like, 12 months. Well, the way, the way we thought about it was not to replace existing freight rail. Um, even though freight rail in the U.S. today burns diesel, uh, because it's so energy efficient, the CO2 footprint of, of diesel freight, diesel locomotives moving freight, is about the same as what an electric truck would generate indirectly through the grid. And so our, our problem focus as we studied this became not let's replace free rail. We think that that is serving a very useful purpose as it is, but how do we get more things to rail? Why, why doesn't rail serve more in the industry? And, and these are the questions we started asking ourselves. And so our, our deep dive into this revealed that through the legacy of, of trains and locomotives, um, you have these tremendously high fixed costs that need to get amortized over very long trains. And that's why trains are long, is because they're trying to amortize those fixed costs over lots and lots of freight to get unit economics that are comparable with trucks. The problem now is it's large scale of re limits rail's ability to serve certain freight lanes. Uh, freight rail handles large volumes going long distances very, very well, like LA to Chicago, for example, but doesn't really compete over shorter distances like LA to Phoenix because you have a problem of quality of service and you have a problem of drayage costs. And th these are kind of limitations that that uh, prevent rail from, from being competitive in those markets. And so a lot of this, this, investigation and our drive towards innovation was driven by economics um, because this is an industry that can be very unforgiving when it comes to that. So that was kind of our beacon was, okay, we need to make something that addresses these problems, but still can be competitive for a shipper. And really, um, you know, at the end of the day, the shippers are not paying for a train ride or a truck trip. They're, they're paying for a service that gets something from A to B and it costs X amount of money. It has certain quality of service. Um, and that's, and that's how the industry works. It really doesn't matter how it gets there as long as it gets there and it gets there for a reasonable price and a reasonable amount of time. So the way we have, we, we digested this problem and, um, you know, realize that taking the dividends of electrification as well as autonomy and using that existing infrastructure, the rail infrastructure in the U S but also worldwide can allow, uh, that equation to be reevaluated. And, and so what we're, what we're building is, is, is a platform that uses that existing infrastructure, but is able to accomplish truck competitive unit economics without requiring the massive scale. And so now they don't have massive scale. I can leave multiple times a day so I can have truck competitive service quality. Whereas low volume lanes today, you'll accumulate lots of volume of freight and it might be, you know, every other day, every four days and, and shippers and customers don't want 
that infrequent of service. Um, when the, the lane gets too short, you have to park that big freight train somewhere. Um, and when you park it there, it's not where your shippers and customers are. And so you have a big drage component and that drage component is what makes it not worthwhile, generally speaking, for, for freight rail to serve shorter distance lanes. So with our platform, you're able to get much closer to shipper and customer and extreme cases actually go directly to their warehouse with our type of technology. Wow. And that was very well stated, not only from the problem set, but the potential solution. But I'm kind of a, a visual learner, so help me visualize, you know, what this might look like in practice, or where you guys are at now and trying to implement the solution. Sure. So we're starting with intermodal. Uh, that's our focus right now because that's where we see the, the the greatest potential for growth in the rail industry, and where there's a lot of competition with trucking right now. But imagine a container that is held by two platforms, and we have. We have these two platforms as separate vehicles um, because we're focused on being able to serve any size container. And so we're, we're, we're building a platform that can, that can be agnostic to the, the size container that needs to be shipped. But the, the two platforms have their own uh, battery electric powertrain on it. They have computers, radios, all the sensors to be guided um, and autonomous. And we work together. So imagine a container, uh, you can even double stack them. You can put two containers on top, but imagine these containers navigating the network and you can move them together in what we call platoons, because that is, that is the right way to use network capacity. You don't want to send a single container down the network and, and cause other operations to have to wait, uh, for their passing moment. But the system is also unique in that we don't have a traditional coupler. Um, we have a bumper system. And so when we are moving in platoon, what we're doing is we're pushing from the rear through this bumper system. And so there is contact, but it's purely compressive. And when we get to a destination or, or even get to a branch where some of the containers need to go to the left, some of the containers need to go to the right, the system can automatically separate and send these two separate packets of, of containers to their destination. So it's very, very unique. Um, it doesn't have it doesn't have anything remotely close to a traditional locomotive pulling it. Um, every vehicle has its own powertrain, but they work together um, because of, again, network capacity, but also because it's more energy efficient to move that way because in the lead, the lead container, right, it has the aerodynamics of a brick. It's terrible. But because we're moving so close together behind it, the containers behind it experience very little aerodynamic drag. And so we push from the rear and that helps amortize that drag over many containers, which, which leads to higher energy efficiency. How long of a <clears throat> platoon could that be in terms of containers or cars? We can go as low as one. Um, we, we see the range ideally being between 10 and 50. So 10 and 50 containers, um, would move in a platoon. 10 is because that's where some of your energy benefits start to asymptote. And 50 is really just based on uh, early looks at service design, um, looking at some of the biggest freight lanes in the U.S., and concluding that you know once you get to about fifty, which is about half a mile long, um, you're 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 encroaching into normal train territory there, and um, even these highest volume lanes are able to handle the volume in those lanes with multiple fifty car platoons per day. So our conclusion is it doesn't need to get much bigger than that, and that the upper limit helps simplify the dynamics that we need to manage it between the vehicles interacting in the, the bumper system there. 
really interesting. I know, um, obviously, we've had a lot in the news here recently, earlier this year, around derailments and rail safety. And that's got to be a big component of conversations you're having with class ones. What's the safety aspect of this? Yeah, I, I think what's, you know, what's unfortunately happened um, highlights an opportunity for technology. Um, there's been a lot of conversation around these wayside hotbox detectors, which, you know, are maybe monitoring the bearing temperatures every 20 miles. And we have onboard telematics. Yeah, we have everything instrumented, sensors, and we're able to monitor uh, all these key sensor parameters multiple times a second. We're monitoring bearing temperature temperatures 20 times a second as opposed to every every 20 miles. So we have a lot of insight into how this equipment is going to operate uh, and when it needs to be pulled off for service. So this is something that uh, is generally gets a lot of strong reception to, to have that type of capability. Really interesting and great to hear, you know, coming outside in from a technology perspective, that that's some of the benefits from safety that we can start with as opposed to being reactive to it. How do we think about um, or where do we think this is going to first appear in the wild? Talk to me about development and where you guys are piloting some of these solutions. So we are we are testing right now our second generation vehicle. Um, this isn't something we've we've shared publicly yet, but it's um it's our it's our next gen vehicle that has incorporated a lot of lessons we learned from our first gen vehicle. And what's important right now is that we're testing this vehicle to to assess essentially its track worthiness and our ability to integrate into train control systems. This is a this is a, a really key part of our ability to be compatible with legacy infrastructure is is to um, of course um, stay on the rails and um, and and be able to be controlled by those central uh, train control back offices. So we're doing these tests right now to assess all those things and. We are looking forward in the future, um, either in the U.S. or internationally, to perhaps demo this in a real-world environment. So those details are are not fully determined yet, but um, hopefully something in the future that we can share. I love it. What will that look like um, at the shipper's warehouse? Like, will the the container come off the rail, or will it have to be transloaded, or will it be autonomous on road at some point with just those two? Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the phrase already. But just those two. We call them autonomous rail vehicles. Um, okay. We we get that question um, fairly often about whether or not they'll they'll be limited to the rails. And for now, that's that's the plan is they'll stay on the rails. But as an example, um, you know, we we get a lot of interest around port adjacent warehousing because there's a lot of importers who are moving steady volumes of containers from the port to their warehouse, and they're 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 generally draying them extensively, right? And these these warehouses are fighting for port adjacent real estate because they want to keep their drayage costs low. Um, but one of one of the models that the service models that our vehicle opens up is the ability to, you know, imagine cutting a hole in the fence. And now that warehouse back parking lot can become this little mini terminal. And it has to be the right volume to justify the infrastructure investment, right? You would have to build a little bit of rail going into the back there, but you could have someone with a reach stacker that is then plucking boxes off vehicles as they come in and putting it, you know, on the back of a loading dock. And, um, you know, some of these, some of these importers, they're moving 50,000 boxes a year, um, 
into that facility and for a conventional rail that just isn't a solution that makes sense like the service quality would be would be very infrequent um finding the real estate footprint to justify that type of operation would be prohibitive too but our our system has flow we can bring in a few boxes at a time from the port you know the daily arrival of of 10 boxes um and move all those off go back to the port with the empties and and that's an example of the type of service design that this can this can enable that's so exciting i love that i can you've helped me as the visual learner to be able to see this and and in my mind thank you what would we expect the impacts of this to be though so if we fast forward what are we trying to solve for beyond using existing infrastructure, lowering energy efficiency, and shifting stuff off of the road? Is this a, a fully decarbonization play, or are there other ancillary benefits that we should be thinking about? The, the the truthful answer in terms of decarbonization depends on how clean the grid is. That that that's the reality of the situation. Um, but this is where rail has a big advantage over trucking. You know, trucking even an electric version is still very energy intensive. And where does the energy come from? It comes from the grid. And in many, many places, the grid is not fully clean. Um, even in California, half of the grid is powered by natural gas. So there is indirect CO2 generated by the grid itself. And that's why we think it's very compelling to use less energy. So when you look at average numbers right now for the grid today, in terms of how much CO2 is generated, um, our evaluation is that a platform like Parallel can be a 90% reduction and CO2 per mile over legacy um, diesel trucks. Um, things like rail or electric trucks are, are improvements, but they're not nearly as impactful as what we're, we're doing. Um, one of the ways we look at our impact, though, um, longer term, is how many miles could potentially be shifted to rail. Today, U.S. free rail is moving about 25 billion container miles a year. So this about 25% of the U.S. rail business moves intermodal versus the other 75%, which is bulk. But within that intermodal business line, they are moving, um, you know, the product of mile and, and number of containers, 25 billion a year. And so when you look at the trucking industry, um, I, I think no one exactly knows exactly how many miles the trucking industry does. It depends on how you dice it up, right? Reefers are are you talking about just dry vans? But it's somewhere in the order of like 350 billion miles a year is what the trucking industry is doing by comparison. So we uh, we think that based on some of our analysis is that there's another 50 billion miles to convert from trucking to rail. And, and trucking, of course, still continues to play a very important role um, in first and last mile, but we think there's a lot of middle mile, a lot of, a lot of longer distance uh, mileage that can be converted to rail with a platform like this. So you're talking about going from 25 billion miles to 75 billion container miles um, rail in a future state with a platform like this. That is such an enormous opportunity. <clears throat> and even to your point of less energy, meaning less emissions, a very big number when we're trying to talk gigaton scale solutions here. So that's super exciting. I can't wait to see where you guys go with it. We're getting close on time and I know we could probably deep dive for another hour and a half and still not touch the, the surface of this. But I ask all my guests to come on the show and I need to know from you, when you wake up in the morning, why is it important that you get to work on this solution with a focus on decarbonizing rail? I mean, I, I think it's exciting to work on a mission-led company and that's and that's what we're doing. We're 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 thinking about how do we how do we connect the planet with the cleanest freight out there? 
right? That that's our that's our high level mission. But what we're doing very specifically right now is trying to work with the rail industry, work with the infrastructure we have to accelerate decarbonization of freight by using rail more extensively. Uh, this is about modal conversion, about getting more freight miles to rail. And it's exciting to work on something that that has that that sort of potential impact. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear about it and excited to cheer you guys on. <laughs> We're definitely have to have you back on after that uh, Gen 2 comes out sometime later this year or next year and see how you guys are progressing. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.